Hello, welcome back to Sassy with Mickey and Kev. It has been quite a little bit since we've last filmed an episode. We took a little break. We both had a lot of things going on in our personal life. And today we're actually digging in by starting with Kev's updates. We certainly both had our fair share of drama these last couple of months. So um, today we'll be focusing on Kevin specifically. But do you want to give a really quick high level life update for everything that's happened in the last month in case people have missed it? Well, I started my fourth year of residency, my third clinical year. So I'm kind of in the really middle, middle juicy section of residency. So I have a little bit more than two years left of surgical residency. A little more than two years. You got more than two and a half years. (laughs) Basically, you know, I'm not really a junior resident anymore, but I'm not really a senior resident what we call Kevin a senior junior. So he has responsibilities that like other juniors don't have because you're more senior, but then you're also not qualified as a senior. So you don't get the perks of being a senior. You're but, like right in the middle. right? But I also get the benefit of being a senior when it's convenient and a junior when it's convenient. And the not benefit. Yes. Right. <laughs> Give us some other life updates. What's been going on? One, Lucky and I are have been hanging out in our home because Mickey has been very busy doing a lot of her personal life things. Mm -hmm. My parents came to visit and we were pretty good hosts, I would say, even though I was working most of the time. But they had a good time and the weather was nice. For those who don't know, Kevin has a younger brother who is about to apply for college soon. He's got like a lot of activities. He swims like Kevin does. And so it's like a rare opportunity for them to be able to come and visit us in Seattle. And they caught like really good weather, which was great. Yeah. He also ate like everything in our house. He did. We also found out that your brother and I have the same taste buds, which was so fun. We both like... Everything, like sweet foods. Yeah, yeah. If we look forward to dessert, dessert is like the best meal of the day. Anyways, I wrote some notes here. My interviewee has prepared questions for me to ask him. You're so welcome. I will be asking him some questions. I wanted to be involved in the process. For some context, you are now a fourth year resident, aka a clinical R3, because you took one year of research from July to July of last year. Now, during research year, you're working, you know, roughly around 40 hours a week, sometimes a bit more, sometimes a bit less, but you are doing a lot of remote work from home. You have the ability to travel a little bit more often. Has it been hard to come back from research? There's two aspects of this question I would like to address. Number one is the lifestyle portion, which has been pretty hard. So you have to wake up now to go to clinical stuff at like 5 a.m. And we don't get home until 7 or 8. And, you know, we don't have all weekends off. Today is a Sunday and I had to go in to round in the morning. Mm -hmm. So definitely there's less flexibility. Like we have to plan all the things that we have time off. And then, you know, on the weekdays, we used to be able to, you know, have like a nice date or go for out for dinner or like hang out with some friends. But now those things are much more limited. Is it difficult to have a taste of freedom and then come back to not having it? Because actually, it's funny because, you know, in your program, you guys talk about this idea of like the worst couple of months of residency or sometimes the months coming right back from research because it's kind of a tough transition, right? When you yeah. see like light at the end of the tunnel and then you're like, oh my God, maybe I don't need to live this way. Well, I think that once you get in back into it, you don't have time to think about it anymore. You're mm. just kind of yeah, you're working with a bunch of other folks and they're all living the same life as you. So you kind of just deal with it, which is not great. But, it, you know, it's like anxiety, right? Like where you're, you have a big test or you have some big competition coming up. Once you're there, it's not so as bad. But mm-hmm. when the anticipation is 
usually the worst, right? Yeah, I would say you started getting like the Sunday blues for research year ending about a month before it ended and starting to like gear up for restarting that cycle. Now that you're like in your technically your fourth year of residency, what period of residency was the worst for you? Like where were you closest to wanting to quit? Well, I think the beginning of R2 year, because as a surgery resident in the first year, you're just doing a bunch of random things. And then when you start R2 year, you just, you get put a bunch of responsibilities. For some reason, like when July 1st hit your R2 year, you're taking call. As an intern, what do you do? You take care of the patients in the hospital that are already in the hospital, and you make sure that they stay alive and they're happy. As an R2 or higher, often you'll take what's called call and consults, which is whenever someone has a problem or in the ED or wherever in the hospital and they have a question that relates to the department that you're in, then you have to go see them and provide your consultation. So that immediately happens when you go from an R1 to an R2 in our program. There's maybe some transition periods, but all this responsibility of trying to figure out, is this an emergency? Does this person need an operation? Does this person need further workup? All like relies on you. And you're not the only thing that's changed since an intern in our two year is time rather than experience. You don't understand what I'm saying? With time comes experience, would you say? But like the date from June to July, you just suddenly become an expert, right? I mean, right? you gotta start somewhere, Yeah, right? but like, you know, some things, some places, they transition you onto it, right? Sure. The call also evolves like in the middle of the night. So night call, so you, we, we all take turns. You're the one that they call you and you have to make the decision And if you don't know what you're doing, you can call your senior or your attending, but you also have to make a decision to need to wake them up, right? So it's quite tough. So the difference is that as an intern, you are not taking overnight call and you're also not taking the consult pager during the day, which means that your responsibilities in the hospital, yes, you are there, you are working and you're supporting your team, but your responsibilities are much less, right? All of a sudden, then you have a bunch of new responsibilities at once and taking overnight call, like Kevin said, is like you as the junior are the primary person saying everything you have to make the call you make like the life or death calls and it's a lot of stress because it's like is this something I can handle myself is this something that I should wake my senior up for what if my senior is somebody who's like do not call me unless somebody is like you know seriously you know because everybody's personality is different you'll have seniors who are more supportive in learning and seniors who are less so and every junior is different like you'll have some juniors who call you for everything and gung-ho juniors who are like we can do it and some people see every single consult which they probably don't need to do and other people don't see things that they probably should see like there's a lot of judgment and there isn't necessarily like a right or wrong answer for a lot of these things so i think part of the stress is you feeling like you're the point person and how good of a physician do you want to be in situations like these, right? Well, you get used to it, right? And so as an R, clinical R3, I'm still taking junior call, which is the person that they call first. Right. The same as when I was at R2 a couple of years ago. But I guess now I have more experience slash I'm more confident. And I also know the, you know, the current seniors or the attendings, I also know them better. So I understand what they're looking for so i mean it's still the same like waking up and taking these consults but i'm like less stressed about it from the interpersonal connections Mm -hmm. i mean there is an aspect you know of me being on research for a whole year and not doing this for a year there was maybe some rust for the first couple weeks of doing things mostly like technical things like you know i don't know where things are in the hospital or like 
you know, remembering how to use some of those instruments or like, you know, just holding like suturing instruments and yeah. that again. But, you know, you're working so much, it just kind of kicks back in. Like it doesn't take long for you to come back. So I'm curious what your day-to-day work schedule looks like because I think a lot of people are misunderstanding and thinking that residents over inflate the number of hours they work or it's actually sometimes I feel like it's actually under reported because technically per ACGME guidelines you are only allowed to work 80 hours maximum a week and 80 hours that is how many hours a day is that if you divide it into well, well I guess, it's 16 hours a day for five days right and but if you work the weekends you easily go over that but there yeah. are a lot of nuances to these acgme rules do you want to talk about some of them well let's start by saying so i work for sure monday through friday I'm what usually, time do you start usually like 5 30 ish 5 30 to 6 a.m so that means that you're waking up anytime between 4 30 to 5 yes. right and use the earliest we get out since i'm Holding the pager during the day usually is the luckiest is like six, but we're there till seven at least. So that's at least 13 hours per day times five, which is like what, 50 plus? That's at least 65 hours. So you work just by working your regular work schedule, you got 65 hours, right? Yeah. And then on top of that, every single night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., two people from your program need to be on call overnight. Well, three people, two juniors and a senior. Right, so three people need to be on call. There's one person who is a designated night flow person. So one of those spots is always filled, but the other spot is always filled by one of the other juniors, right? Yeah, so before when I was in R2, there was no post-call day, which meant when you were on call overnight, you work the next day normally. But now you get from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. off next day so you come in in the afternoon so you get eight hours of hopefully sleep so let me let me put that into perspective for you guys because it's like you're like oh no post call like it doesn't sound that bad right but imagine waking up at 4 30 a.m going through a whole days of work your day shift ends technically at let's say 6 p.m right from 6 p.m to 6 a.m you are working you're on call And then from 6 a.m. until the following 6 p.m., so for 36 hours total, you could technically be working. Like, are you physically working every single minute of that? You might not be, but you're... You might be awake, you might be alert, you might have to go in for a consult. Like, it's the stress of the uncertainty. Yeah, but now we get eight hours of break to try to sleep, which is great. However, there are definitely times that you do not take that full break or you take parts of it, you know, because... When one person is out, then it kind of slows down the rest of the team that's there, right? Yeah. There's only, there's limited manpower. Yes, because residency, you only have... It's not like a regular job where... Somebody if you, covers you if you're, you're sick, out. somebody else gets to call in. No, you just kind of fill in the work that needs to be done. Right. Right? So, so that's the weekday stuff. And then weekends, from Saturday to Sunday, we have the same sort of on-call system where 36-hour time point from... 6 a.m. Saturday to 6 p.m. Sunday is covered by two juniors on call and one senior as a backup. So the 36-hour calls, those are home call, correct? Can you explain what that means? Well, it means that even though you're like any time during those 36 hours, someone in the hospital can call you. And in theory, you could be in the hospital for the entire 36 hours. The only the portions in which you are in the hospital physically should count towards your 80-hour 
work week. Like technically, you could go home. Technically, you could wait at home. However, for example, one of those calls for those juniors, you're covering three hospitals. Washington State covers not only Washington, you also cover Idaho, Montana, Alaska. So between these five neighboring states and three hospitals, the likelihood of you just chilling at home is pretty low, if I do say so myself. Yeah, it depends if you get lucky or not. Yeah, and sometimes you do get lucky, but... Do you think home call is a benefit to not going over those 80 hours? Well, I think it depends. I think if you have nothing to do, you can stay at home. That's great. But if you get called in, you just get destroyed. But alternatively, it's also like a kind of a turnaround for the ACGME rules, right? Because if you force the person to be in the hospital the entire time, then you have to say that they're working the entire time, right? Let's say you work 65 hours during the week and you you can't work work another 36. 36. That's what a 65, that's like 100 hours right there, right? right? So you can't be doing that. So it's kind of a little... There's a lot of like political nuances and small things. You do also have the benefit of like genuinely if there isn't any consults or anything to do, then you can just actually be at home whereas opposed to like anesthesia or neurosurge, like they're often in-house and they have to be there even if there isn't anything going on. Plus minus. Yeah, plus minus. You also have to like sometimes there's traffic and you have to drive between. Like last year, do you remember when there was the football game going on and I had to like get to the other hospital and then I had to like yell at the policeman to like hey I need to get to the other hospital yeah okay so what are the rules for being on call when you're at home then how close to the hospitals do you need to be there's no like rule rule there's no like it's not written down I think anywhere but there's suggestions I think you have to live within 20 minute drive of the hospitals 20 minute with traffic or without traffic for nurses it's a little different you have to be there within an hour but I had co-workers who lived more than an hour away way because this is LA and there's traffic so when they took call they had to physically like go to a friend's house or something to be closer just in case they were called because you have to be there within the hour well I think there's like leeway right like with our home call you need to be I mean, there. you definitely shouldn't be like skiing or something yeah I mean but you have to be in the city basically yeah right? yeah and- There's a certain level of responsibility you have to be willing to take to do that. So let's talk about your day-to-day. So, you know, you're waking up around 4.30. You're starting around 5.30. What exactly are you doing all day? Like, is there really that much to do? Well, so we get there at 6. We run the list of patients, figure out what happened overnight, look at all the charts till like 6.15, 6.30. And then we see all the patients that we need to see. So that's called rounding? Yeah, rounding. So we need to finish rounds before like 7.30 because we're a surgery team and surgery starts at 7.30 right like if you're like on a medicine team you don't have other things to do during the day you just round all day but we need to finish rounding by 7 30 update all the attending so our attendings don't usually round with us they just get an update about their patients and they're like sounds good with the plan it might be nice Um, i mean they can round on their own and see their patients i'm not saying that they don't but they get an update about how their patient's doing the plans as described by us and then we get ourselves ready for the or which starts between 7 30 and 8 and we have scheduled cases the entire day from 8 to usually 5 or 6 there if there are consults or tasks that needs to happen in the middle of the day then we need to like rush between cases or step out of a case to do those things or if they're not urgent then we do it at the end of the day so that's how things can get dragged on. So in terms of the surgeries that you do, there are more like high yield surgeries versus like less 
desirable, like less of a learning opportunity, right? And so you typically get an email from your senior, like my chief. Yeah, my chief sends out a schedule every Sunday for the week where he or she can makes that schedule and assigns you to certain ORs with certain cases. And it's based on seniority. Yeah. So all the seniors get the first choice of what they want to do. So if they're doing something cool, some attendings are better than others at teaching and also letting you do stuff. Right. So that is more desirable. And then there's other cases where you just sit there and watch, which is less <laughs> desirable. Yeah. Right. So you, you get assigned those cases. If there is not enough cases, then we also get assigned to clinics. So mm-hmm. maybe you're in clinic one to two days a week more if you're an intern, um, since they also have to deal with the patients who are in the hospital stuff. Mm-hmm. Most people go into surgery despite how messed up the schedule is because you guys love to operate right and supposedly so when you're starting out in residency you're operating very little and to, then yeah. you slowly work your way up to being able to do more you know or time but you also have specific requirements that you have to hit before you can even graduate from residency, yeah like you have to right? do 50 of these kinds of cases 20 of these cases you know right and they're sometimes obscure because these rules were made by our specialty like 20 30 years ago mm-hmm. and they haven't really changed but yeah so when kevin comes home at let's say 7 or 8 p.m his work is not done what do you spend <laughs> time doing at night well i have to prepare for the next day right like i can't i'm still learning right, right. i'm not going into the next day being like oh i know all how to do all the surgeries i have to look things up depending on the attending i have to send an email describing the plan for the cases the next day because if you don't they might not think that you're prepared and you know your preparation really dictates whether how much they let you do the case right like you can't just go in and the person's going to teach you how to do the case right right you have to go in and they might be like okay get started what are the steps Right, you like, should know what you're your doing recipe, before you right? go in there. Like, imagine like, make, you're doing surgery on a person, right? You you expect your resident to know the steps of the yeah. surgery and how to be safe. You come home, you have to finish up your notes for the day. I would say that takes at least 30 minutes. You have to prep for the next day's case. And then sometimes you also have to do your case logs, right? Yeah, those hours don't count towards work. They don't? OMG, that's crazy. Like, I mean, you, you're not <laughs> technically in the hospital. You're technically doing work, but... It's volunteer work. I mean, depends <laughs> on how you depends <laughs> on how you want to log your cases. But in theory, you don't have to log them, right? It's your own personal learning time. If you want to graduate from residency, you should do that. But it's not required. <laughs> yeah, it's not like the things that we force you to do. Um, so technically, you could be working from five thirty to nine. I have a question. So is it true that surgeons watch YouTube videos of surgeries and then you go and you do it the next day? Sometimes. I mean, there's like professional YouTube videos. So do you just like Google, like Google search the surgery and go from there? Or? Yeah, you can do that. Or there's like Atlas. It's like surgery atlases, so but they're on YouTube. Version? I mean, it's just hosted on YouTube. <laughs> is that not crazy to you? No. Does it give you the ick when you're watching surgical videos while you're eating? Like literally, it'll be like a pool of blood and Kevin will just be eating his like ramen noodles. That's fine. I'm Why is there to... a pool of blood in this surgery? I don't know. I forgot. What was, like it was like a thyroid or something. I don't, I know. don't know. Pool of blood? Yeah, there was like blood gushing oh. out everywhere. <laughs> what kind of YouTube? You thing? were watching it. Oh I don't know gosh. what you were watching. It's faster to watch a video than read the text. Have you ever Googled something like in the hospital while the patient was there? Yeah. I will literally Google stuff right before I do like a bedside procedure. Be like, okay, I feel like there's this horrible. So there's this viral TikTok and there's this horrible misconception that... 
it's bad to see your doctor googling something like I feel like I would personally feel more safe knowing that they double checked before <laughs> they did it it's not like it's the first time they're seeing this information it's like okay I'm just double checking well there are some things right? that like you know it's just good to prime up I don't know what's a good example like when you're making like ramen noodles or something I don't know you having the steps in front of you is not a bad idea so you're doing cases throughout the day what time do you start rounding again like the p.m rounds yeah. and whenever someone's done one of the seniors is done okay. with their day of cases and does your whole team round together at the end of the day we again? try to i mean as many people who are free because it's nice to have everybody know what's going on with your patients i see should we talk about more residency tea so something really major happened in your residency recently. This is arguably one of the most horrible things that could happen in a residency. Other than it being disbanded. <laughs> That's true. I guess there are more horrible things. Here's the tea. Someone in our residency program quit. Did you quit residency, Kevin? Unfortunately, no. It wasn't you? Unfortunately, no. That sounds so weird. Do you think if your residency did a poll of most likely to quit residency, you would be in the top three? Top five. Top Top five. Top I five? think the R2s is the most vulnerable class of wanting to quit, right? You're only the second out of six years or whatever. That's fair. Right? That's and fair. you're the hardest year. So one of the R2s did quit, but there's and a lot of T associated with that. Quitting like a normal job is like no big deal. We just find this a replacement, another... right? But what's the big deal about quitting residency? Explain well, how, how annoying and difficult the situation becomes. Well, for both sides, both parties, it's quite difficult. Mm -hmm. You're not a fully trained doctor. You can't just find another job or residency. Also, residency is a cycle. It's like every year you match and then you go to your program. And so like when I got into my program... I had a job for the next six years lined up, right? Like I knew what I was doing for the next six years. So you can't just like quit and find another residency spot. Right. Like it's not something you can quit. And you, I guess if you were to quit, you probably not do residency anymore. Right. And on the other side, on the program side, you can't just find, hire someone else, especially to, we need to have the right qualifications. Right. Like it's in the middle of the year. Like, also, the way that residents get a job is through Match. And Match is a massive algorithm where you rank the programs, the programs rank you. And especially in highly specialized programs like one that Kevin is in, these spots are incredibly competitive and, you know, you have to really find the right candidate. The issue is that Match happens at a very specific time every single year, yeah, right? Yeah, happens in, well, interviews happen at the end of the year and then right. match happens in march and then you start july 1st and that's for pgy one or two like those are spots that you start at the beginning if someone quits in like the middle of their training you can't how do you find someone you exactly have to specifically in that spot in their yeah. training right and so there are probably a lot of people who want this position but either are not qualified or already or in a different, different program yeah. so at what time point did this person quit well, they put in their resignation at the beginning of this month to say that they're going to stop at the end of this month. So October 1st. Yeah. So so that gonna... will have been three months into our two years. So she's, yeah, have been done residency for 15 months. Which is even more annoying because if she had quit earlier or later, it would technically make more sense, right? Like you could find somebody who did a surgical prelim year and then fill that spot July 1st, right? If we had known earlier. I mean, it's... <laughs> Like, it's not no, great. like technically, obviously, yeah. like you can't control, you can't control a lot your of timing. circumstances, but technically July 1st would have been the best time to fill this position. Yeah, right? or after our two year, because then there's a whole year of research. Residency is hard, again, because it's not like a regular job where, you know, you have your defined job and you do your job. 
there's X number of residents and then X number of things that residents must do, right? Mm -hmm. If someone quits, everybody else has to expand their their daily tasks, right? right? So one of the big issues is call, as we talked about before, right? The call pool is made up of eight people, usually. There's four R2 juniors and four R3 juniors. And now we're short one R2 junior. So instead of eight people trying to take all the consults overnight we only have seven so each of us is doing what one seven like 14 percent potentially more call over the course of the next nine months although of course we're apparently trying to find someone to take this position but like there's no guarantee there's no guarantee they're gonna have to get up to speed like that person's gonna have also maybe they're super grateful but it's gonna have such a long learning curve like they haven't been here the last 15 months and you can't expect them to just jump in and be like right it's not like day one they start on the job they can start taking the consult pager like they need to get acquainted to the systems learn the charts even just like literally the basics all the way to like actually having enough expertise or even like where the heck the hospital is like where's the bathroom where's like all those things get all your badges set up it puts the program in a difficult situation was this out of the blue or did you guys see it coming I don't. I think some people knew. I. I don't think I was privy like enough knew it enough. But I think people in our program knew there that was like this an inkling, inkling that this is going to happen. And this happens like unfortunately, programs not so uncommonly. Like people yeah. will leave, especially surgical hard. programs. I feel like yeah. it's really not that uncommon, unfortunately. Yeah, I thought about definitely quitting when I was in R two, and you know when you're in your darkest days, like nothing makes you happy. Like even if you're like, oh, I want, I want to do surgery, you're like. This is what I wish my future to be. Yeah. When you're in that state, nothing like nothing can, you know, change that. So So I want to talk about that a little bit because the timing of her quitting residency was exactly the same timing of you and your R2 year where not that you were going to quit, but you were the closest to being like, I hate my life. Have I thought about it? Like, yes, right? For those who have not seen the YouTube video, I think it's titled The Worst 36 Hours of My Life. That was exactly this time period that we're talking about where basically everything that can go wrong did go wrong for kevin in this time period right and what was it specifically that made those three months so horrible i think you you just don't know how to do your job very well right and as like a person who you're like the top of your class in high school you're doing well in med school you try really hard and you're you know doing well people are telling that you're doing a good job and then you come to residency and you don't know how to do anything it makes you sad but then you know you also have a lot of interpersonal connections that make things quite difficult right so Mm -hmm. we're often in these three months blocks and your team at your hospital is as a surgical subspecialty like one or two other people like your chief your connection with them is super important because they can, you know, be really, really helpful. You can either get along with them. You guys can have a good time. You're going to work hard and you're going to have a good time where you might just be struggling. You don't know how to interact with this person. They might make your life like a living hell. As an R2, you basically have these three months blocks and your chief switched usually every three months, which means so you- essentially you get a new boss every three months, right? And yeah. in the same way that you think about a traditional job, like there are bosses that you like that you get along with who let you go home early sometimes when it's warranted. Like when your car breaks down, they're like, don't worry about it. Like I got your back. And then you have bosses who are sticklers, who are like, less supportive. You're doing this wrong or it's like, or they don't check in on you. Yeah. Right. So. And when you're already going through such a horrible time period in your life, like the last thing you need is lack of support. Like what you need is more love, more care. And then like genuinely just like some personalities just don't get along, right? Like there are some people who you get along with perfectly that other people in your program don't and vice versa. But it's tough. I mean, I think this overall, you know, just makes you 
think about is like, oh, if, if, if you work so hard starting your life from like high school to now to try to get this job and after a year you want to quit makes you want to rethink things, right? Is there something wrong with mm-hmm. the system? Is there something wrong with our program? Something wrong with each other? So what do you think stopped you from quitting residency? Well, I think my support system, right? Like it's that's really important. Like Mickey was telling me it's going to be better. Also, like from personality wise, I am not afraid to ask people for help if I'm struggling a little bit, if mm-hmm. get to the certain extent. Like I talked to my program director. I talked to some of the other seniors and they're like, hey, like this is how I'm feeling. This is what I feel like. And, you know, people were just like, oh, yeah, that's probably like, oh, OK. Like I felt like that, too. Like give some justification to that. And then having the mindset being like, hey, this will get better. Like you're not the only one going through this, having people to share that with it's not great right like we know like we signed up for a hard gig you knew it wasn't gonna be it's not yeah Yeah. i didn't want to push or sway you away or another but like in my head i was like you need to be really really clear because like when you're so heated in that moment it's hard to be like level-headed like i'm like wait you gave up your whole life for this is this a temporary thing that will get better or is this a genuine like I don't want to do this ever again for the rest of my life right because when you quit residency you have to be okay with the idea that like maybe you will not get another spot maybe you will not end up where you need to be maybe you're not meant to be in medicine right like there's so many what ifs yeah just trying to minimize regret genuinely it was only those three months and as soon as you moved on to the next block you loved it you were obsessed I don't think I worked any less hours no, but it was the team that you were with. And also Kevin has so much love for peds and pediatric patients. And when you went to the children's hospital, you were just you. I remember you would text me all the time. You'd be like, oh, my God, babe, like today I got to see this cute little baby. And we did this operation and we saved their life. That's the thing, like about the darkest days in medicine, you have to have the thing that like sparks joy and like love for you. Like even on your worst day with the worst schedule, what is the thing that you want to be doing? Anyways, I think everybody has their own specific situations and stuff going for them. So we can't, you know, speculate or... I mean, I'm sure everybody in your program feels a deep sense of, you know, sadness that she's leaving, but also like sympathy, but also probably like a little bit like proud of her for making a decision like that, because it's not easy on your program's part, obviously, but also not easy on her part to make such a big decision. And I I think the main thing is it should spark the discussion of, you know, what can we do better for us which is which is fine it's not a great thing so what is this process like of finding a new resident what happens if you can't find a replacement i have so many questions they posted a job okay. like online in the forums got it and so i think people who are qualified you know can talk to our program director to get it mm-hmm. and then there probably is a short interview process and then maybe we'll have another member of our residency the crazy thing is that like this is a golden opportunity like this is a spot that people would give up their lives for this spot right like for some people this is their literal dream ideal situation the question is just now can you find that person who's qualified and in the right state of like who can move their lives entire life yeah but also here's the here's the tea what's the drama that can happen from from this if one person drops out of my program so in my head i'm thinking let's say i was in your specialty and i match in a middle of nowhere program <laughs> in like some state that i don't want to be in and let's say washington was my home state and that was my dream program and i didn't initially match there Ooh. even if as 
even if I was already in a different program, what's to stop me from applying for this position and moving my life back here? Like, like technically, that could bad, happen. Bad tea. I don't know. Karma. <laughs> Any Taylor Swift lyrics. But like that. Better than be, revenge. I don't know. But the thing is, that would be in the best interest of that person. Yeah. Right. I mean, really, really hard for them, though. But. But that is a possibility, right? Like technically, like somebody if, in a different program could apply for this position and end up here. Yeah. But wow. then it's like a then their position is then open. they need to fill theirs <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they're in a their pro you put their program in like a tough right. spot but although yes. there are programs where they're better staff versus you know some programs lose a resident and they just have one less resident like your program is not a program where you could we just want have more. one less resident yeah isn't there technically a non-compete in there where you're technically not allowed to like work for other people or i, I don't know we sign this thing every year so clearly it's at least for the year that you're assigned to this job. I see. So you can't force this person to work another nine months at this job <laughs> if she doesn't want to do it. I have to say your program director specifically really handled the situation with so much grace that I could not say that if I were in that situation, I would have handled it the same. Yeah, I mean, like I've talked to a program director for another specialty because mm -hmm. we hang out and he was like, oh, wow, that's really rough. Like I had one person leave during my tenure as a program director and mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't have handled it as well as the way that you're a program, program director. director. So I give her kudos, kudos. She's, she's awesome. The program director is really important because they're, they have your residents best interest in mind, yeah. but they also have to navigate, you know, the attendings and the other administrative folks. Yeah. So they're a bridge between both of you guys. And most of the times neither side is completely happy. So it's a really kind of sometimes a thankless job where people yeah. don't really appreciate you on either side. Do you want to talk about if, you know, somebody is going through a situation where they don't know whether or not they should quit, whether they should stick it out, what your advice is and what you do to take care of yourself? Well, I think the first thing to do is not to hold it in yourself and pretend that everything is okay. Because I think people who are in like a high achieving jobs or higher education often tend to not want to show that they're in trouble, like especially like in a surgical field, right? Like when someone in the operating room tells you, hey, you want to do this? Do you think you can do this? You're not going to be like, no, like you want the opportunity to try to do this because every opportunity is a learning opportunity, right? right? So if that translates to something more personal about whether you want to continue your career or not, mm -hmm. it becomes a little unhealthy, I think communication, right? Having a mentor, like even a senior or someone to talk to, right? Someone who's been in your shoes during that time again yeah. is super important. Someone you can trust. So like, I know, I know it can be hard to like tell people that you're struggling, but if you have that one person that you trust that you can tell them those things, then, you know, that burden is a little bit less. Um, I know some people do well with therapy so they can vent kind of like the similar vibes but you're just venting more about more specific things about work it's sometimes difficult in medicine to figure out whether or not the short term which isn't even short you know for you guys it's three to seven years whether the short-term sacrifice is worth it for the long run and for some people it's not right like you know for example for women you're you you do have a biological clock you do need to make some priorities and some choices that can be more difficult and figuring out what is best for you not what's best for everyone else like what's best for you a really good thing that someone taught me is if you look at your bosses or your seniors or people who are 
you know, ahead in their journey, do they have a job or life that you want? Because if they don't and your ultimate goal is not something that you actually want, then I think it's worth considering like, hey, maybe this is not meant for me. Or just talk to your co-residents, the people who are doing the exact same thing as you, right? There's probably a couple other people and seeing if what you're going through is justified or not. Yeah. But the main thing is open communication. What are your biggest wellness tips? Like what do you do on your days off to recharge? Sleeping. Yeah, Kevin sleeps a lot. Eating some food. But I think having hobbies outside of work, even if you don't have many hours, is fine because your work can be enjoyable at times, but there's certain points that are 100% not enjoyable. Okay, well, thanks for spilling the tea today. Thank you. We had so much fun filming another episode. We're super excited to be back and we will see you again for more updates on the situation and next week for another episode. Bye.